All right, we want to take a break now to thank one of our sponsors here. You know, we only like to promote and talk about products that we genuinely love here. And here on the podcast, we love our bull and branch sheets. Uh, We've had them in our house more than a year. Jill, I know you have as well. Most, we are huge fans of bull and branch. And if you don't have bull and branch sheets already, what are you waiting for? It's a new year, new you, new sheets. And if all of you with your resolutions are working out, trying to eat healthy, give yourself the gift of some soft sheets. It's a New Year's resolution you can achieve. Bowl and Brand sheets get softer with every wash. We have a few sets here in our house. They're made with 100% organic cotton. They don't have those toxins, those synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals that many other brands have. So they're especially good if you have sensitive skin. Moshe, that's a big issue in my house. The sheets are good for all seasons. They'll be great. They'll keep you cool in the summer. They'll keep you warm in the winter. And right now, we have a special deal going for the Mo News community. On your first order of Bowl and Branch, you can get 15% off. Just head over to bowlandbranch.com. That is bowl, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Use the promo code, what else? Mo News. Keep in mind, exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Hey everyone, it is Thursday, June 30th. I'm Mo Shwinunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am pleased to announce the return of my colleague and friend, Jill Wagner. I'm so glad to hear or see that you're feeling better, Jill. Thank you so much, Mosh. Um, it has been a rough few days, unfortunately, after two and a half years of not getting COVID. I got it. Uh, while literally two weeks away from having a baby. The good news is that I finally feel like a pseudo-normal person again. I'm not 100%, which is why I sound like this, but I am, I guess, good enough to get on this podcast today. So thanks for holding down the fort, though, earlier this week. I'm happy to. I was worried about you. I mean, listen, COVID can be rough. Um, I know we were part of the Omicron wave over the winter, my wife and I, and uh, to get it nine months pregnant, I can't even imagine. I know uh, that... Certainly was concerning to see, but I'm I'm again uh, glad that you're starting to make your full recovery here, Jill. Look, the 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 upside of it all is that I am passing a lot of antibodies onto the baby, so that's a good mm-hmm. thing. Um, but on the downside, there you can't take that much when you're pregnant in terms of medicine. So I will give a big shout out to your wife, Alex, who was walking me through some natural remedies, which have definitely helped. Yeah, she loves she's uh, loves the holistic stuff, and we have a drawer full of vitamins for all various scenarios. So, yeah, you can check you can check some of those out on her Instagram feed. <laughs> I love that you're always plugging Alex. It's very good. You're a very good husband. It's it should be much appreciated. She's a great hype woman, and I try to I try to do my best to return the favor. <laughs> the best, like, really, <laughs> the best hype woman. If you're ever feeling a little down or bad about yourself, talk to Alex, and you'll leave feeling great. It's it's so true. Um, okay. <laughs> We're going to create an Alex bot. <laughs> it should be an app, actually. An app. <laughs> All right, Mosh, let's get to the news. Here is what we're following today. The state of abortion one week in. What the patchwork of laws is looking like. And the court isn't done yet. The big ruling we're expecting today. What the July 4th barbecue is going to cost this year. Do we even want to know? And a simple test that you could do in your living room that can help you determine if you're going <laughs> to... I can't even say this. If you're going to die within the next few years, a little morbid for a Thursday, Mosh, but it is kind of wild. 
It's it's this crazy study. Uh, definitely uh, stay till the end. And uh, I have a lot of people on Instagram standing on one leg right now. Um, all right, let's start. That is called a deep tease. Uh, let's start with the state of abortion. As I was mentioning, we're one week in from that ruling when the Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, the decision on whether abortion is legal, now up to individual states. So what that means is that abortion is now banned or under serious threat in about 60% of states in this country mostly in the South and the Midwest. Along the coasts, abortion access has been protected, even expanded. So Moshe, I know you've been following all of this really closely on, on your Instagram account. Which states are you watching in particular? So there's a lot to watch here. We're trying, we're trying to keep track of all 50 of them. This is what we know right now. There's 20 states where abortion is protected. Uh, that includes New York, Illinois, uh, basically the entire West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington. Then there are 13 states with trigger laws or bans. Uh, most of those have gone into effect and another eight that could majorly limit them. So that's 21 states, right? Some of these states have full on bans, no exceptions. Missouri and Arkansas have laws in place now with no exceptions even for rape or incest, just the life of the mother. Six week bans have gone into places like Ohio, uh, but given how long it takes many women to even find out that they're pregnant, you know, many are saying that six-week ban is effectively a full-on ban. Ultrasounds are typically not available till after eight weeks. Um, and so uh, just to recap here, we have the 20 protected states, uh, the 13 trigger laws, eight looking at uh, major uh, bans or pretty restrictive bans. And that leaves you with another nine or 10 or so states. I think I have my math right there. Uh, these are the states we're watching because it's unclear what direction they'll go in because you see split government there. These are states like Wisconsin, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, Michigan. These are states where you might have a Democratic governor and Republican legislature or vice versa. These are also states, some of which have laws on the books going back more than 100 years. For example, in Wisconsin, this is all being litigated because in America, lots of lawsuits, lots of court issues. Uh, Wisconsin has a law going back to 1849. Um, in regards to their abortion ban. It was uh, in effect from 1849 till Roe v. Wade. They never bothered to deal with it when Roe v. Wade um, came from the Supreme Court. And now they're like, wait, what's our law say about that? So this is 1849. In Arizona, it's a 1901 law. In Michigan, it's a 1931 ban. And so there's a lot of confusion in a bunch of these states. And I know the, the Supreme Court was hoping not to have to take up another abortion case again. So how is that going to work? Yeah, I mean, one of their goals with all this was the conservative court, at least five members, right? Roberts was sort of in the middle there. He didn't want to go so far. Said, this is not, there is no constitutional right to an abortion. Kick it to the states. And we don't want to have to deal with these cases anymore because we don't think it should be an issue for the courts. Well, they're going to have a lot of cases coming their way. And this includes cases in regards to trigger laws, the legality of these laws. Uh, judges in Utah and Louisiana stopped their trigger laws so far this week. In Louisiana, it's a confusion because apparently in Louisiana, they passed three different trigger laws. And they're like, well, which one is the one that's operational right now? That's one issue. Another thing going to the courts will be abortion travel bans. There's a couple states where they want to ban women from those states to go to other states uh, where abortion is legal. That's going to be pretty precarious. It does seem like the court will not uh, allow for bans, but nonetheless, some states will pursue those. And then you have issues you'll see in the court system related to medical abortions. This is what's known as the uh, abortion pill. And by the way, Jill, medication abortions now account for 50% of abortions. So uh, there's all of that. 
And then you have a bunch of the states that have done laws or passed laws with no exceptions. Doctors are confused. It turns out that very simple laws about abortion written without the consult of medical professionals uh, we're not done considering all the various scenarios out there. So you have a lot of questions, even in states like Kentucky that has a full-on ban. But doctors are like, how do we ensure that we're able to legally deal with miscarriages? And the you know, legislators are like, well, you can. And they're like, well, the law doesn't. And our lawyers are concerned. So you're going to see a lot of uh, litigation related to that. I really loved your interview with Jan Crawford. She's the CBS legal correspondent. Because there's been so much talk about whether the court was going to overturn other rulings like same-sex marriage and contraception. And she actually calls all of that, um, just the talk and, and even the coverage, irresponsible because she said it's pretty clear that that's not going to happen. So I just want to take a listen to a quick soundbite. What is surprising is how there's just been this collective freakout um, and you know refusal to acknowledge what not only the majority says about how, you know, we could not be more clear, those cases are not in doubt because abortion is different. It involves a life, unlike a right to contraceptives, unlike a right to same-sex marriage, abortion is different. Then you see Justice Kavanaugh, as you mentioned, writing that separate concurring opinion saying, abortion is different, those cases are not in doubt. So, you know, the court, you can't, change the law, overturn cases, unless you have five votes. You know, you got to get to five. So right now we have one vote, which is Justice Thomas. And we have all the others saying, I mean, the other conservatives who were on this opinion saying, this is not casting row, I mean, casting those cases into doubt. You know, effectively what she's saying, Jill, is that Clarence Thomas has always been on an island on his own. He's had an issue with these things for a long time. And that based on the reading of the majority ruling of the conservatives, plus Kavanaugh's concurring, plus Roberts's concurring, plus how you know the liberals will vote, that uh, folks should not have to worry about concerns about uh, relitigation or reconsideration and the overturn of things like contraception and gay marriage. And not only that, I mean, you just went into a whole thing where we were talking about where things currently stand in terms of abortion rights in this country. There's a lot of real issues to be concerned about, whatever side of this you're on. So kind of this talk about same-sex marriage and, and contraception and all of that, she's saying is, is a, kind of a waste of time because there's real, there's real other things that we should be focused on. And another thing she mentioned, the Supreme Court not done ruling on all of these hot-button issues. She talked about what's on the docket for next year. Uh, let's take a listen to what she says. We have a situation now where last week alone, the court dealt with guns, abortion. This week, we're going to have religion and climate change. Next term, we're going to have race, um, gay rights. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to almost think of any, what's another contentious, divisive issue? What, what have they missed? Yeah, I was telling you on the podcast, it sounds like, you know, uh, folks need to buckle up for a whole round of cases, uh, especially in relation to affirmative action and, and race that we're going to see next year. And and by the way, we're still dealing with the fallout, as we've discussed, of Roe v. Wade and all the changes there. So ultimately, what she's saying to folks, especially if there's folks who oppose or are concerned with those decisions, please 
you should probably spend time focused on those and not worry about the next thing because you have real issues to deal with right now. And the Supreme Court, by the way, still has a couple of rulings left in this term. Today, we're going to get this big climate case decision. It's called West Virginia versus the EPA. It's basically about how much the EPA could force power plants to cut down on pollution. Yeah, this is going to be a big decision. This will be the last day of the session today. By the way, officially, Breyer retires. Jackson gets sworn in today. So you'll see the the new court. So people should be on the lookout for that. As far as this climate change case, uh, I think people have a pretty good sense of how they're going to rule here, given the conservative majority. Effectively, what's happening here is that the plaintiffs, states, uh, Republican states plus energy companies want to restrict the EPA and other federal agencies from setting rules and regulations that they believe impact the American economy. They think it should be the role of Congress to make those laws and not regulators. The translation here is, should they rule in the way we believe they will? This, the victory for the plaintiffs could mean limits on how much the government can uh, restrict tailpipe emissions, how much uh, they're going to be able to limit uh, fuel-fired power plants. And those are the two top producers of pollution that lead to the warming of the planet. All right, now let's turn to the January 6th hearing, some bombshell testimony this week. Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, gave startling details on the activities of President Trump and those around him before the attack on the U.S. Capitol and on the deadly day itself. So she described being told by Meadows that Trump agreed with rioters that the vice president, Mike Pence, had deserved to be hanged. Meadows said, quote, he thinks Mike deserves it, that he doesn't think that they're doing anything wrong. I mean, Moshe, what? (laughs) That's just wild. Um, Hutchinson said when Trump complained that not everyone was let into his January 6th rally and was told that people might be armed, he replied that they should be that they should remove the metal detectors because they weren't there to hurt him. And most she also said Meadows and Giuliani were interested in pardons from Trump for their actions related to January 6th and attempts to overturn the election. And then there's the allegation that everyone's talking about. She said Trump was so irate that he wasn't being driven to the Capitol after his speech that he attempted to grab the steering wheel of the limousine and lunge at a member of his Secret Service detail. I I mean, all of these fall into the WTF bracket, but what do you make of it? I mean, it was pretty incredible testimony for those uh, who haven't watched. Um, It'd be hard to, if you're interested in news, to avoid it in the past 24 hours. Even some of the news networks were replaying it on their streaming channels. What's remarkable here is you have a 25-year-old former assistant of the chief of staff. And for folks who might be familiar with the show West Wing, this is Margaret. This is Leo McGarry's assistant. In this case, Cassie Hutchinson, in real life, sits 100 or so feet away from the Oval Office, loyal to the end with the president and Meadows, and she turned, right? She turned and she revealed all of this. Um, you have all those allegations. Of course, that last allegation that you're bringing up, whether he lunged at the Secret Service officer, upset he wasn't being driven to the Capitol, that's in hot dispute now. That one was the one that, to me, felt a little bit strange because I'm just picturing it. It doesn't feel like something that could yeah, actually like, happen logistically. Yeah, even in the yeah, if you think about the way that the those cars are configured and – Incidentally, she has dozens and dozens of allegations, very serious allegations that you laid out there in your introduction uh, of what she witnessed firsthand, what she was told firsthand. Then you have this steering wheel allegation uh, that she admitted in the testimony she was told secondhand. So everyone's like, well, you know, is it hearsay? Is it not hearsay? Uh, ultimately, this is the allegation that, you know, Secret Service allegedly is saying to folks, 
we deny this. We didn't actually have the president lunge at the steering wheel. The bottom line, though, is like there's still dozens of other allegations here, very serious ones. And by the way, one that you didn't even get to is that Rudy apparently told her things might get violent and he's going to look very uh, presidential on January 6th, that there were warnings that they were all freaking out that January 6th was going to get really bad. And then, of course, uh, the allegation that you did lay out there about the president basically condoning violence, saying, even if they have guns, so what? They're not here to kill me. Let them into the rally. And so that gets to some you know, real potential criminal issues. I mean, agreeing that that his vice president deserves to be hanged, it, it it's hard to even imagine that, actually. It, it was hard for me to even get through the script. Yeah. No, and, and honestly, we saw in recent weeks those pictures of Pence, uh, insurrectionists getting within 40 feet of him, 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 him having to spend five hours in the basement of the Capitol uh, in a secure room because, you know, they felt that his life was in danger and that effectively the president condoned it, right? And that, you know, to hear that, like, in her testimony, she's describing the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, laying on a couch, looking on his phone and, like, sort of nonchalant about it, being like, well, the president doesn't want to do anything, so what do you want to do about it? It feels like most with every hearing, we're kind of like bombshell testimony, but it really is bombshell testimony. All of this stuff is pretty crazy. I think the question that we ask now, as we've asked after the hearings before, is this going to move the needle for anyone? Yeah, and and especially ultimately if there's this dispute over did he touch the steering wheel, did he not touch the steering wheel, you know, it'll lead to people who are like, well, you know, she that thing turned out to be in doubt. So forget about that other stuff. So people on the right who are predisposed to trust the former president who like him, will they be moved by this? Maybe you see like some move on the edges here. There were certainly people within the Trump circle who were talking about this. And does the fact that she turned move others, the most loyal ones that are left uh, to say anything negative? And would that make a difference? I think the bottom line is, if you were outraged by January 6th, I think we've said this before, you continue to be outraged about January 6th. If you were not outraged or you feel that like this is a partisan process and they're taking things out of context and Mueller was BS and this is BS, then you're not going to move. Does this move things in a primary if a DeSantis or others run against Trump? Potentially on the margins. Like it just gives people an icky feeling. And of course, Jill, uh, you know, as we're taping this, we continue to see headlines break related to this. This includes the January 6th committee is subpoenaed the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone. He, of course, uh, was in some of those um, meetings in the Oval Office where Hutchinson says the president said, you know, let Pence die. So it's very interesting. These accusations already um, are continuing to quickly evolve this investigation. And it might mean, and this was a crucial moment, by the way, during the Watergate hearings, but it might mean that you have the White House counsel, the White House, you know, the president's attorney testify. He's been subpoenaed. All right, moving on. Travel trouble. It's already shaping up to be a pretty ugly travel weekend. There have already been about 1,800 flights canceled as of Wednesday. So stop us if you've heard this before. Airlines cannot keep up with exploding demand after two pandemic summers. There are pilot and other staffing shortages. And of course, it comes as Americans are paying a lot more for their plane tickets and many just want to take a vacation. Mosh, is it too much to ask? Clearly. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Jill, Jill, you and I have spent many years in network and local news uh, doing travel packages and stories. And uh, tell me if you've heard this expression before. Uh, travelers this weekend should pack their patience. 
So I got to uh, a point, by the way, where I, you know, I was a rep- field reporter for so many years. I stopped just on principle using that expression. I couldn't take it anymore because I'm like, no one says that ever in real life. <laughs> hey, right? uh, just letting you know, everyone, <laughs> you should pack your patience this weekend. Um, no, this is an issue. And unfortunately, you know, we talked about this on the podcast last week with Peter Greenberg, uh, just saying that this is going to be the story of the summer. Already Father's Day weekend and Juneteenth weekend. We saw more than 3,000 flights canceled, 19,000 delays. Airlines are pointing the finger at the FAA for not having enough staff and air traffic controllers. They are admitting they have staffing shortages on their own, pilot shortages, um, et cetera. And then when they can, they like to blame the weather on all of this. But you know what, Moshe? Somehow, everyone I know is still posting vacation pictures on Instagram as I lay in bed sick with COVID. So they're getting there somehow, right? They packed their patients, Joel, <laughs> and they eventually got there. Um, this is the issue we're facing right now. The airlines are squeezing at a level we've never seen before. There's an analysis I looked at uh, this week, and it shows that there are nearly a million fewer seats available in July and August than there were six weeks earlier. And by that, I mean they looked at six big airports, Atlanta, BWI, Denver, Dallas, uh, Houston, and uh, O'Hare Airport. And basically, airlines are dealing with cancellations because it turns out, as we learned on an earlier podcast, that they schedule too many flights. They're like, oh, my God, there's all these demands. we got to schedule all these flights. And no one who was dealing with the staffing department was like, hey, do we have enough pilots and, uh, and staff to deal with these uh, flights? Well, apparently they did not. So now they've canceled a bunch of things. So this analysis, they then looked at TSA checkpoint data to show how full the flights were and found that they're, they're basically running even. And typically, they like to have a certain margin for error um, and rebookings and people who are looking for later flights, etc. So the airlines are running this tighter than ever before. And what that means is that you, the traveler, are dealing with cancellations, uh, delays like never before. I'm going to take Peter Greenberg's advice and wait until September 15th for any sort of travel, not just because I have a baby coming in two weeks, but it just, it feels like it's not worth it. Although we, as we discussed, you've got two summers of of dealing with the pandemic. People just want to take a vacation. I get it. They're calling it revenge travel, um, (laughs) Jill. Like ultimately people who feel like covid messed up the last two summers, they're not, no matter the prices, no matter the delays, they will take that vacation. And the airlines know it and the hotels know it, the rental car companies know it. Um, But you also have a situation where the airlines know they have to catch up. And so they're, by the way, if you're looking for a job right now, $10,000 signing bonuses uh, for uh, several positions now at various airlines. All right, Moshe, time for our speed read. This one from Reuters. BioNTech and Pfizer are starting to test universal vaccine for coronaviruses. The two companies are working on next-generation shots that protect against a wide variety of coronaviruses. Their experimental work on shots that go beyond the current approach include T-cell-enhancing shots designed to primarily protect against severe disease if the virus becomes more dangerous and pan-coronavirus shots that protect against the broader family of viruses and its mutations, including the Omicron variant and its sub-lineages. Yeah, we're dealing with like BA4, BA5. I mean, already like the the Omicron family has spread. And and this is the big issue, right, is that variants and mutations that evade vaccine protection uh, and like sort of the waning human immune memory have added urgency that we need 
new tools for this fight, especially as we head into the fall. Because remember, the vaccines that many of us got are based on the OG variant, or I wouldn't even call it the variant, based on the OG coronavirus found in Wuhan nearly three years ago. It's crazy to think about, like this fall will mark three years since Wuhan. And so one of the things I was looking at, Jill, is that there's a trial being done not far from here at Weill Cornell. Uh, it's a NIAID-funded uh, study, and they are testing combinations of vaccines uh, on a range of variants, Omicron, Beta, Delta, literally mixing like the Pfizer with the Moderna sort of soup, if a stew of virus uh, vaccines, if you will, uh, to see how that goes. And we're going to get those results soon. So my husband also got COVID, as I do. I got it from him. Thanks, Michael. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, Michael. Michael being thrown <laughs> under the bus on the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not nice. But he just <laughs> lost his sense of taste and smell. And I was like, really? I'm like, that's. I, I didn't realize that was still happening with the new strains. I'm like, that's so 2020 or even 2021. Al, Al and I lost our uh, smell and taste for about 72 scary hours there. I was like trying to down shots of like Listerine. I was like, get, come back to me, come back to me. But yeah, it was happening to us with what we believe was Omicron as well. For Alex, that's a major professional problem. I feel like she's a, like, she's like a professional, that's what she does, cook and tastes. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's not good. So I'm glad you guys it's, got it back. I, and, and I feel, I feel for hundreds of thousands of Americans who it wasn't a 72 hour issue for them. Some of them are going more than a year without taste and smell. Okay, from the Wall Street Journal, in a new poll, 89% of Ukrainians rejecting ceding land to reach peace with Russia. I think this poll is fascinating, Mosh. This week marks actually four months since Russia invaded Ukraine. In what could be an impediment to any type of peace agreement, a new poll from the Wall Street Journal shows that the vast majority of Ukrainians, 89%, say that it would be unacceptable to reach a peace deal with Moscow by ceding territory that Russia has seized in its invasion this year. I mean, that seems like, again, it would be this huge issue in terms of making peace, uh, Mosh, because that would be probably what a final agreement would look like. I mean, this is the thing. Think about it. If you're Ukrainian, by the way, this poll was done in the lands that Russia doesn't control. Remember, Russia controls 20% of the country right now, about the size of, of New York State. Um, and it, they're gradually inching and getting more territory every day. This is the challenge for Zelensky. He has rallied his country behind him. They have watched their country and major cities get completely leveled, destroyed. Um, Russians commit war crimes against them. They're at a stalemate, though. Ultimately, Ukraine can stop Russia's progress to a certain extent and stop them from taking over the whole country, but they're not going to be able to push them back to the Russian side of the border, not without troops from the West, American troops, etc. So ultimately, what the West, and this has been a conversation that's happening at NATO this week, how do we tell Zelensky, and then how does Zelensky convince his people that a compromise will have to come down, and that compromise will entail having to swallow that Putin took part of the country and letting Putin take over some of that land. And that's, you know, ultimately that's how wars end, right? Compromise, conflict resolution works because each side comes to an agreement that it doesn't love, but it can live with, especially if you don't want this war to continue. At the same time, I mentioned that NATO summit, you know, one remarkable thing was seeing this week, Finland and Sweden are officially joining the alliance. It has to be voted on by individual parliaments and, and Congress here in the US by the members, but it's happening. Uh, Turkey gave up its opposition to it. And this was the thing that Putin was like, I can't have NATO on my border, so I'm invading Ukraine, and basically completely backfired against him. And so now he literally has Finland and Sweden. He's got two countries, effectively, one totally on his border, 
uh, joining the NATO military alliance, which is pretty remarkable. Okay, Moshe, I know that you're following this headline about Russian coke. <laughs> I, I feel like this is <laughs> this is the story you were adamant had to be in the podcast today. So with Coke and Pepsi out, a Russian company says it's time for Cola Chernogolovka. Tell us yeah, about it. Just, it. Ro- mm. just rolls off the tongue, doesn't <laughs> it? You know, listen, I think that one of the things is we got to cover like those serious military issues, et cetera, related to Ukraine. But it is fascinating to watch the fallout of these sanctions. In particular, one of the headlines that caught my attention is that after McDonald's pulled out and there's basically like a new version of Russian McDonald's called something else. Now you had Coke and Pepsi pull out. And so you have Cola Chernogolovka, which I'm going to have to try at some point. But I don't think we're allowed in right now as American, American passport holders, Jill. What is remarkable, though, is that Pepsi, uh, these American brands were like the thing that helped bring down the Berlin Wall and help kind of open up uh, the Soviet Union. And you have a famous photo, actually, dating back to President Nixon, where he was photographed introducing Pepsi to Khrushchev back in the day. So sort of iconic images of Pepsi and Coke coming to the Soviet Union back then. And the fact that they've departed and they have their own version of Coke now is a is fascinating, historically speaking. A little fun fact about yours truly, I have never had soda. Shut up. <laughs> I swear, <Really>? yeah. <laughs> no 7-Up to, to you know quell the stomach? Never. No. I, you know what? I really, really don't like carbonation. Ah, uh, so even like club soda, sugar-free club soda, not your thing. Nope. Unless it's alcoholic. <laughs> I, don't, so I don't know what that <laughs> says about me. I can tolerate champagne. I could do a little vodka soda. Other than that, no thank you. The mo you know, Jill <laughs> yes. doesn't do carbonation. <laughs> this headline from The Hill. July 4th cookout costs 17% higher this year. Americans will pay about $69.68 for a cookout for 10 people, an increase of about 10 bucks from the year prior. Prices of ground beef, chicken breasts, pork chops, pork and beans, lemonade, and other products have seen significant increases Economists are attributing it to ongoing supply chain disruptions, inflation, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Shocker. <laughs> we got to blame Ukraine. We got to blame uh, Putin for everything, apparently, including the size of the burger you're going to get on Monday. Um, so two pounds of ground beef now up to $11 average. Two pounds of chicken breast up to $9 average. Both of those are up nearly uh, a third over last year. Pork chops also up uh, a lot. Uh, price drops, interesting, interestingly, according to the study, strawberries and potato chips. So if you see more of those on your plate or uh, at the picnic this weekend, you'll know why. What do we make of that? Why? I, I don't because I buy strawberries all the time. And we, we were joking about this earlier. The Whole Foods on Long Island did not get the memo about the strawberry <laughs> price drop. You know, it's so funny because I'll also put out like gas prices on the Instagram account and people are like, where is it four dollars it's seven dollars and fifty cents i'm like listen guys it's a national average it's a big country i don't know what to tell you but this weekend i will make it my mission to find out why strawberries have gotten cheaper this year it's all about me mosh it's all about me (laughs) (laughs) okay from axios the flamingo test for longevity this is what we were teasing over at the top of the podcast in a new study published in the british journal of sports medicine researchers asked people between the ages of 51 and 75 to balance on one leg with their heads up and their arms at their sides for 10 seconds. 20% of them failed. And when the scientists followed up seven years later, those who had failed the test were 84% more likely to have died than those who passed. Wow. I mean, I, <laughs> I dare anybody to hear this story and not try to go do it. 
I, I've, I, I'm full of direct messages on my Instagram being like, Mosh, I'm looking like a loon at work today, <laughs> standing on one leg, because am I going to live? And then people are like, oh my God, I couldn't do it. Am I going to die? And I'm like, first of all, it's one study. It was done among uh, an elderly group. Uh, but one thing to keep in mind, folks, and this is crazy to think about, falling is the leading cause of injury-related death once we get over 65 years old. So balance is important because if you fall, you know, Again, it's the leading cause of injury-related death after a certain age. So I can't speak to, I, I did link in the Instagram to the study itself. Uh, one of the suggestions or several suggestions they have for folks is biking is important for balance. Walking and jogging uh, 7,000 steps a day can lengthen your life and help you with balance. Uh, they Axios mentioned Tai Chi. I've never tried Tai Chi, but I understand Tai Chi is good for balance. And then just practicing your balance is important. And I think that's the correlation there. Okay, Mosh, cheers to the freaking weekend. Here's what we're watching, reading, and eating on this holiday weekend. And I will kick it off with what we're watching. Okay, I literally have been doing nothing but watch TV for the past four or five days. You've been recovering for two, <laughs> Jill, recovering for two. So I watched The Lake and The Summer I Turned Pretty, both on Amazon Prime. I thought they were both great, and I'm currently in the middle of Stranger Things season four. <laughs> Jill, I'm excited uh, to check out season two of Only Murders in the Building. This is the show on Hulu with Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez. Uh, was really into it last season, so excited for the second season, though Hulu's one of those streamers where they only give you a show, an episode a week, so you can't binge it altogether. And then, of course, back on network television or live television, I can't ever get enough of the hot dog eating contest on July 4th. I, I can't get any of it. It makes me so ill, actually. I, I That's funny that you like watching it, as do so many it's, other people. It's sort of like the Kentucky Derby. It's like a couple minutes you get every year, and you're just like looking at it. Now, completely different, right? One's a horse race, one's a hot dog eating contest. But, you know, Joey Chestnut shows up, and it's just remarkable to see, like, the size of some of these people, how small they are, and how many hot dogs they can eat. Um, I think Chestnut did 76 hot dogs last year in 10 minutes. So we'll see how he does this year. Okay. What are we reading? This great piece from the New York Times. Uh, you actually linked to it on Instagram. It's all about China's surveillance, the extent of which this surveillance state exists. Yeah, they, they got access to some documents. Obviously, it's very hard to do investigative pieces on China. Um, but they were able to obtain evidence of the extent to which China tracks its citizens. And remember, they have more than a billion people there. But the authoritarian state basically especially they made them all download uh, various apps that the government can track. And they're tracking the following people with cameras, through their phones, etc. People with mental illness, uh, criminals, fugitives, drug users, petitioners, suspected terrorists, political agitators, based on China's definition of that. Threats to, quote, social stability, migrant workers, idle youths, as in all teenagers who uh, don't go to school or don't have a job, all ethnic minorities, foreigners, and those with HIV. Basically, China has a very long list of people they uh, consider potential threats to the government. And so they're actually touting this stuff. It's like, you know, we love the surveillance that we do because it prevents crimes and helps us solve crimes. And the piece in the Times really goes into the, within detail, um, the sort of 1984 George Orwell state that they're, they've created with technology there. What are we eating? For me, it's a little bit like, what am I drinking? A lot of hot tea, bone broth, which is the COVID diet of champions, according to your wife. And I, I think she's right. 
According to many people, according to our grandmothers back in back in the shtetl. Well, you know, you, just have that soup. So the Jewish penicillin, the chicken soup, I also have that. My mom made me a huge batch and dropped it off at my house. But it's actually different than bone broth. There, it's it's yes. a slightly different thing. Bone broth is apparently I, I literally Googled this. Bone broth has apparently more nutrients. But you know, you've got the you've got the tradition of the Jewish penicillin for me and and made with love. So there's that. I'm hoping that works for you, Jill. I, I, I hope it gets you to back to 100% as soon as possible, especially in time for the uh, holiday on Monday. As far as I'm concerned- You're just like, are uh, you going to be able to write the Monday newsletter? <laughs> that's that's basically what I need to know. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> <just> kidding. <laughs> when, when, when people wonder like, wait, like Moshe hasn't been posting. It's like, well, Jill's gone and I got to write the <laughs> newsletter and, and write the podcast and figure out what's going on. Um, as far as I'm concerned, some barbecue this weekend, as well as um, Alex has gotten very into making homemade fudgesicles. So we talked about popsicles last week. And then this week, she put together sort of a Nutella, banana, and uh, peanut butter recipe and made frozen fudgesicles. You can find that on her Instagram page, and I'm digging it. All right, everybody. That is the show. Thank you for listening. We'd love your feedback on how we're doing your thoughts on whatever it is we're covering. And there are plenty of ways that you can reach us, including a very cool email address, podcast at mo.news. You could also subscribe to that Mo News newsletter at monews.bulletin.com and follow us on Instagram at mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on at this exact moment. And please review us in the app store, especially if you have nice things to say. Um, and uh, we should, I believe, officially now, Jill, as we enter and complete our third week here, we're on every app except for Pandora. Pandora. <laughs> what is up with you, you Pandora? <laughs> Not cool. Not not cool. Maybe maybe they'll uh, maybe we'll get there just after July fourth. Anyway, uh, wishing all of you a wonderful holiday. All right, bye everyone.